And we think that in order to be worthy of love, we must live up to the expectations of others that we then place on ourselves. We need to realize that these expectations are the expressions of what we have agreed to partake in, not necessarily our true nature. So I have agreed to be an athlete at this point in time, but it is not me. You are listening to The Medicine Podcast. I am Mimi. What is up, everybody? This is Chase. So long story short, we were childhood sweethearts turned husband and wife in our early 20s. Despite following the mainstream script for happiness, we actually divorced for three years. Only to later reunite as soulmates with a brand new outlook on love, God, health, and the real medicines of the universe. If you find yourself wondering, is there more to this life, to health, to God, to love? Then you are in the exact right place. Consider this your bridge to expansion for body, mind, and relationships. We are uncovering and discovering with you. Let's go take the medicine. Hello, audio friends. Welcome back to the Medicine Podcast. This is episode 122. My name is Mimi, and I have my beautiful, blue-eyed, sonic-garbed man king here with me, my love. I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> what is going on? Everybody, so glad to be here. Audio friends, soon to be video friends. Yes. Because get hyped, everybody. We are going to start putting all of our podcasts on video. We're building out a, a studio in our home. Holler. And everything is going to be going up on YouTube mm-hmm. um, so that you can see our eyeballs. You can see our love. muscles <laughs> and our love um, in the flesh. Well, not in the flesh, but in the digital flesh. In the digital flesh. So get amped, get excited. Um, And then then we're going to archive, or all the archived podcast content that we have. We have so much of it on Zoom. We have a bunch of it just audio. But we're going to put those up on a YouTube page as well. So hopefully by like June timeframe, we are up and running. It's a big project. It's a big project, but it's (laughs) going to be a ton of fun. So um, thanks everybody for sticking around and get super excited because you'll be able to see us. Yes, I am excited about this podcast studio it's going to be epic dope sick what it totally want to let everybody know full transparency we're multitasking right now (laughs) we we have a screen open on our computers (laughs) as we are sitting in the queue for the 2022 burning man ticket sale yeah you got like a one percent chance at getting these (laughs) tickets it's pretty impossible you kind of have to like sell your soul to eventually get a ticket (laughs) it's this super it's like trying to get you know, tickets to see Beyonce front stage or something. Um, So it's a little bit of a challenge. We have to be here and and watch the circle of death on our um, computer. Just tell us to keep waiting uh, as to whether or not we received tickets, but we are multitasking not to be worried. We will maintain focus and intention and deliver some incredible content today, which is all about death by success, death by success. That's what we're calling the episode today. We were at a workshop last weekend and this topic came up of why so many people who are like quote unquote successful are not happy. Yeah. And successful by the world's standards of like, oh, you have money. Oh, you have a nice family. Oh, you have a nice house. What? You're not happy. And this just struck a massive chord with me. It's something I've not only witnessed a ton in my life, but have been in that space Mm -hmm. and currently sit in that space at times. And so it's not that I have any of this necessarily figured it out uh, figured out but I am 
really aware of some of the driving reasons as to why you should be happy Mm -hmm. according to the world, uh, but you're not. Yeah. I mean, it really plays nicely on what we talk about all the time. If you've listened to more than one podcast of the medicine, this, as we call it, this mainstream script for happiness. And we've gone through it so many times, but we hear it over and over and over and obviously witnessed it firsthand, experienced it in our own lives where you go through this script, this recipe for what is normal, average, common, you know, and uh, it's going to college, getting a degree, finding your partner in college, getting married, or, or shortly thereafter finding them, like working towards buying a house and ha- then having a kid, getting the dog. And, you know, there's a lot of people looking around wondering, like, is this it? Is this, this is not that any of those things are bad or wrong or anything, but it can sort of this expectation that these things and these things only will make you happy without really diving into the depths of your own soul. Yeah. Um, I think when we, and obviously we'll get into this a lot in the, in the episode and the content, but when you place your happiness, uh, when you attach it to something Mm -hmm. outside of yourself, it can kind of give you this faux happiness for a little while, this faux like excitement or joy, which can be mistaken for uh, true happiness, like real deep, um, just joy in life. Yeah. And uh, then, you know, you, you come to a point where it's like, I don't think I'm actually happy. Right. We'll be talking a lot today about attachment, about identity and labels. Um, and it's funny, as we've you know been talking about drafting this, this content and putting this, this information out, so many things have just come up in my week even. You know, Mark, our friend from the Creator After School, put up a Ram Dass video that has a lot to do with detaching yourself from labels and, and, mm-hmm. you know, realizing where you have attachments because it you know ultimately leads to, to misery. Yeah. And uh, I'm just seeing it all over the place and, and even just reevaluating where I have attachment in my life mm-hmm. today. Yeah. And so I think this is a very relevant topic to anybody and everybody. We're going to get into how it can look a little bit different uh, depending on whether you're a masculine or a feminine energy. Um, but first, but first I got to know what, you have going on in your cup all right what i got in my cup this morning is some black reishi coffee when i say black i'm not referring to just plain old black coffee you know folgers or starbucks or whatever black is the actual product name by our good friends at organo and they make this beautiful reishi coffee where it's a mixture of uh, really tasty instant coffee uh, mixed with um, the reishi fruiting body. And uh, this is something I drink every single day. I've been drinking it for two and a half years. I absolutely love it. I can't and will not (laughs) go back to regular coffee. Um, I stopped drinking regular coffee because one, I learned that 92% of the beans were infested with mycotoxins, mold and pesticides, chemicals, glyphosate, all of that. Um, And it was also just for me individually was giving me like really bad, like acidic type Mm. feeling in my gut when I would drink it. And that happens to a lot of people. And they, they think that they have to just remove coffee. And, 
so I, I was absolutely just overjoyed when my good friend Emily Morrow introduced me to the Organo Reishi Coffee. So this is an option for people who love coffee but want more health benefits than what just regular coffee has to offer because you're getting um, the the just head-to-toe benefits of the queen of mushrooms, Reishi. So she literally uh, she supports every major system in the body from cognitive health to respiratory to endocrine to digestive like immune like head to toe literally and something that we've been getting into lately is we're on day three i think of this all reishi parasite cleanse and if you follow me on instagram you've probably seen me talk about it last week i passed a gnarly liver fluke and then just through the works of uh, the the network of this reishi coffee, I was introduced to this girl, um, Brittany, who is sharing her whole journey. I was really inspired by her reishi journey. Uh, she's cleansing the most insane parasites. She's felt sick for years. To, to clarify, liver fluke is not um, an appetizer at a fine dining restaurant. <laughs> it's actually a parasite no. that is in your poop. There- berries into your liver yes um and so yes Brittany. i I guess it could be an appetizer ew gross no um thank you for that clarification though i'm sure lots of people were wondering liver fluke yeah it's like kind of a mysterious esoteric idea (laughs) (laughs) so back to Brittany. she's passing and sharing her (laughs) her parasite cleanse journey and she messaged me this morning and she was like go look at my stories so I I tapped through she pulled not pulled out but she passed an ascaris ascaris I don't really know how to say it but it's this type of roundworm I believe Mm. it was two feet long oh my god she measured it it was like in a ball in the toilet so we use our little bamboo skewers to get these things out she lifted it up and it was she measured it two feet long So uh, we've been drinking King coffee and black coffee for two and a half years. So we've passed, I know we have, we've passed so many parasites and eggs and just, you know, a little insight here, a little wisdom. You can get parasites from almost anything. It's raw fruits and vegetables. It's well water, municipal water, sushi, you know, a little bit of undercooked meat, um, walking barefoot uh, working in your garden, if you have pets and they go outside and inside both, like y- you don't have to like travel to a, a foreign country right. to have this happen to you. I think that's kind of a, a misnomer. It's it's a it's a, a misconception. Oh, that definitely uh, even within the last year is something that I've changed my awareness uh, towards because I was like, oh, parasites. What the hell are you? Are you like you know? Are you some like living some dirty lifestyle? Yeah. Are you drinking from like? dirty water (laughs) are you drinking toilet water (laughs) yeah and uh the reality is is like these things are there all the time it's not something to just become a complete hypochondriac about no um but it's something that i've become really interested in including in just a life protocol would be to do parasite cleanses and you know at first there's there's a bunch of options there's a ton of different products that do this um but they're really expensive and and you find yourself getting like more capsules 
and pills than can even fit in the cupboard to just go through some of these parasite cleanses. And of late, we've we've found that just like hyper dosing reishi mm-hmm. in the form of coffee, in the form of spores, mycelium, and uh, just continuing the actual mushroom itself, like can have this profound effect on parasite cleansing, which is simpler, more affordable, mm-hmm. and like really in line for us because we just yeah. freaking love mushrooms. Yeah, totally. And so, yeah, we're on day three. And if any of this is sparking interest in you, you don't have to be like chronically ill. Like you and I are, you know, I would consider us very healthy people and we're still passing stuff. Yeah. Um, so you don't have to be chronically ill. But if you are, if you do have like mystery symptoms that you haven't been able to get to the bottom of and you've never done an intentional parasite cleanse, this is your nudge from the universe. Like no MD is probably no MD unless they are, you know, have some naturopathic training or whatever. Uh, if you just go to your general practitioner and you say like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm having brain fog or I'm fatigued or I'm, you know, low iron stores yeah. or some of these, these characteristics of, of parasites, they're not going to be like, oh, you should do a parasite cleanse. <laughs> So, um, this is something that you really need to be your own health advocate on. And, and, uh, there are many people though, that we follow and learn from that can really go deep with it. But we actually did create a parasite cleansing guide based on this all reishi protocol. So if this is something that you're even remotely interested in learning about or trying, um, definitely check the show notes because there will be a link for you to, uh, it'll take you to a landing page and then you can download this free guide that will answer a ton of questions about why to do a parasite cleanse, how to start, you know, um, and, and what the actual products are that, you know, I give you links in there, like literally click here. So, um, it's really, really helpful. And I can't believe how many people are like totally like gung ho on board. Like, well, it's, really it's, excited it's about it. It's super well done. It's explained, you know, beautifully. And it's just crazy affordable for something that can have such a profound impact on your, your life. Yeah. It's one of those really low-hanging fruit type options to just be a little bit healthier. There's a lot of things that seem like you have to climb up a cliff face when it comes to, you know, improving your health. Mm-hmm. This is not one of them. It's it's low barrier to yeah. entry and it's affordable and it's just something that should be a part of daily life. Yep. You know, we'll, we'll maybe have a whole parasite episode, which I think we plan to do. We are, yeah. Um, but to say that parasites can have a, you know, pretty massive negative impact on the way yeah. that you feel is an understatement. Totally. Um, I've heard, you know, health authorities that I respect and trust, you know, deeply having chalked up so many physical and even mental hormonal issues mm-hmm. back to the fact that people were sitting on parasites and they did anything and everything from a, mm-hmm. from a, you know, standpoint of yeah, like juice cleanse, juice cleanse yeah. and, and it really has to come down to a specific protocol. So this is yeah. a, this is a freaking gift that you've mm-hmm. created because it's, it's uh, such a need and it's really been simplified compared to what else is out there in the marketplace. Yeah. No, I I love that. Thank you for that feedback. I I put a lot of time and effort into it because I I really want this to be a helpful asset for people. And the thing is, is like parasites have been around forever. And I do believe that there is some benefit to them in nature. I know that there is. Nature is not stupid. It's not accidental. I know that they exist for a reason. Yeah. But the, the reality is, is that where 200 years ago, we 
or people people living probably would get a parasite and pass it quickly because parasites feed on things like mold, candida, heavy mm -hmm. metals, things like that, that build up in the body. So 200 years ago, we weren't dealing with the level of toxicity in our world, in our soil, in our water, in our air that we are today. So what's happening is we have billions of people walking around with so much toxicity in their bodies, totally unaware. So when you do get a parasite, it doesn't want to leave because it has a buffet right. of toxins to feed off of. So if somebody tries to, oh, I have mold illness, and they try to address mold without first addressing parasites, you're not going to get anywhere because those parasites are holding that mold in your body. Yeah. And they lay thousands of eggs. It's so wild. Like, it feels like a fucking alien experience the first time you see something in the toilet bowl. You're like, what? That was in me? Yeah. You have no idea. But you s slowly start to feel better as your body releases these literal bugs. So, um, yeah. Lots more to come yeah, on that. Come. We we have actually uh, an interview coming up with Brittany, the girl that I mentioned, who has had such a profound experience. And she is a wealth of knowledge because she's been dealing with parasites for a long time and mold and all these other things. So I'm really excited to talk to her and we can super dork out on the parasites. But yeah. moving on today, <laughs> <laughs> what, my love, do you have going on in your cup? I'll keep it quick because I have... The Organo Black Coffee's amazing older sibling, you could say, in the Organo King Coffee. And that is the Reishi Spore Coffee. I have also added a god in our life. <laughs> the Organifi Gold. Yes. I like to sprinkle this bad boy in coffees. I have it straight up sometimes just with hot water or a little bit of milk. Um, and I put it every single day on my toast. Mm. Why? Because it tastes like a marshmallow. It tastes <laughs> like a spiced marshmallow graham cracker orgy. <laughs> and, you know, key key ingredients here are reishi mushroom. Speaking of the queen herself, turkey tail mushroom. Uh, there's turmeric, so it's like a golden turmeric latte is kind of what it tastes like. Um, and then underrated ingredient would be lemon balm leaf. Mm. It is highly effective for relaxation. And, you know, this is a, a product that really supports rest and relaxation and uh lemon balm leaf is is a, it a leaf it is oh, yeah wow. it's a key key ingredient uh and a winner for this one so i absolutely love gold i could do lines of gold um, <laughs> we basically do it's that good um, yeah and so obviously this is on our medicine cabinet um, but you can also use the code mimi fit at organifi.com and get yourself some gold it's one of the most it's probably in my top three of all supplements ever because yeah. I just love the taste of it so much and there's nothing like it. Yeah, and it's so, di it's so diverse. It is. Like you can use it in baking, in smoothies, sprinkling it on things, in coffee, in, in other types of elixirs. Yep. Like you can drink it on its own. Like yep. it's so versatile. Guys, if you love what we talk about, if you love what we're doing, check out our website, themedicine.com. Check out our medicine cabinet. <laughs> <laughs> that has all of our goodies, all the things that we recommend and we keep on our shelf. Um, and then we would love it if you shared about the episodes, yeah. about the podcast. Uh, hit us up, interact with us. We are as responsive as we possibly can be because we just love interacting with people who listen to the show. Mm -hmm. And it's really helpful for us to be able to continue to create content 
based on those conversations. So leave us a review on Apple or Spotify. Both have the functionality to rate and review. That would be much appreciated. And uh, hit us up, you know, tag us on Instagram, share it on your story. It is really, really helpful for us as we grow and try to curate the best content Mm -hmm. for people and just make this podcast experience for everybody a ton of fun. And we just re- we're able to reach more ears. And yeah. with the types of topics that we have committed to talking about, this is what our world needs. Like, I'm not even going to be humble and say like, mm, you know, mm, maybe. No, what we're talking about is creating li- a life that you absolutely love yeah. and taking ownership of your life and the outcome and really cultivating the healthiest of relationships with everything in your life, yep. your partner, your body, mother earth, mother earth, food, movement, meditation, like all of these things everybody needs. So 100%. yeah, we, we appreciate you guys so much sharing with loved ones or sharing on your story and uh, yeah, hit us up. We love it. All right. Let's uh, get into the goodness. Death by success. Why you should be happy, but you're not. So we're going to talk about three primary reasons that we've come up with as to why, you know, you should be happy, but you're not. Oh, bummer. I just got the uh, notification that the sale has ended. I did not get a ticket for Burning Man. Yeah. Shoot. All good. Now I can fully focus on the podcast. Um, So these three reasons, one, you put your identity in your labels of success. Two, there is an attachment to your possessions. And three, you are addicted to a numbing lifestyle of pleasure. So we'll get into the weeds on each one of those. But first, I think it'd be important to define success. Yeah. So uh, I love this definition and we may have even shared it on the podcast before, but um, you guys will hear this name thrown around (laughs) in many of our episodes because he is one of our greatest teachers in this life, bar none. Possibly, I would venture to say our greatest teacher aside from our own souls. Um, and that is the great, the goat, Paul Check. So he's, he defines success as getting what you want and wanting what you get. You know, the way that I think about this is it's, it almost sounds transactional at first, getting what you want. But then there's this piece that says wanting what you get. Mm-hmm. And so where I think that's different from how the transactional world works, which is I want a big house not because I want a big house, but because I want to look like I have a big house, that I'm successful enough to have been able to purchase a house Yeah. rather than I'm getting what I want in the form of a home and I live in that home and I live in that space and it feels like home and I wake up and realize this is exactly what I want, baby. Mm-hmm. I don't move on to something else Yeah. and it's okay to have dreams and aspirations, but there's also this element of of the real meaning and definition of success that is in the present moment i am whole i am complete and this is enough yeah and and the way that i think about it now that i i'm able to articulate it is attaining the goal and then looking back feeling the feelings that you have once you attain that goal and still like you said like being able to look at it and be like yes I still want this this is what I wanted so we do everything for the feeling that we will have once we get the thing so once you get the thing is it what you thought it would be so maybe oh man I really want a big home well once you achieve the big home is that fulfilling for you 
for some people, it's going to be, yes, it, it is so fulfilling. I love this. It lights me up. For some people, it's going to be like, yeah, I mean, I got that. I got the raise. I got the promotion. I got the status. I got the fill in the blank, the car. But then when I got it, I realized like I'm, I'm still not really that fulfilled. Yeah. So it's putting these two pieces together. Yep. And we're going to get into it. Perfectly put. Um, the first reason, and we mentioned it earlier, but the first reason we're going to be talking about is you should be happy, but you're not because your identity lives inside of the labels of success that you have even either given yourself or others have given you. So what do we mean by that? When you're successful and you've received love and attention for your successes, it is extremely hard not to wonder whether you are truly loved without your labels of success or achievements. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think especially for if anyone knows anything about the Enneagram. So for type three, literally, <laughs> they're called, you know, they each have their own nickname. Um, the type three achiever is what it's called. And, and you and I can speak to all of this very well because we are both ride or die, super strong type three achievers. And if you haven't heard of the Enneagram, uh, maybe you've been living under a rock, (laughs) but it's very popular. And it's this system of nine personality types that describe how people interact with the world and also manage their emotions. So I know every system has its flaws, but it really can be very helpful to use as a tool for understanding some of your unique nature, some of your tendencies, and especially it's it's a great tool in relationship to know what Enneagram your partner is. Um, you know, just from personal experience, when we found out we were both type threes and what that looked like and what it looked like when we were out of balance and then in balance, it gave so much insight to why it everything in our life was so bad when both of us were out of balance. Yeah. And then also in this part two, getting more into balance, like it makes more sense why our life feels like it's so fulfilling now um, because we are more in this balanced state. So if you're interested in finding out your Enneagram, check the show notes. I will include a link for you to take the free quiz to find out your Enneagram. And I'll also have some Instagram accounts in there that you can follow that are are really fun and they really do help you learn. Again, you don't want to use this as a crutch or use it to hinder yourself. Like, oh, that's just in my nature. I'm an Enneagram type six or whatever. Um, but it can be really, really helpful. Yeah, totally. Hello, love. By now you've probably heard us talk about the amazing full body benefits of using medicinal mushrooms in your day, but where do you start? There's so many options. I'm here with a pro tip just for you. One of the first things that Chase and I do when we get up is make our mushroom coffee elixir. Coffee is a wonderful carrier of mushrooms because it already has an earthy taste. So we do this by blending about a half a teaspoon of our favorite medicinal mushroom powder extracts from our friends at Real Mushrooms directly into our king coffee. You could also use regular coffee as well. They have quite a few different mushrooms to choose from. Lately, I've been reaching for 
tremella or chaga for the skin and immunity benefits. Blend it all together with a hand mixer, add whatever other flavor, milk, or sweetener you like, and voila, you've got a delicious mushroom elixir to start your day. Real Mushrooms is our top shelf choice for mushroom extracts because unlike most mushroom brands out there, they refuse to include any fillers or starches in their final product. They are simply real mushrooms. To try for yourself, just head to realmushrooms.com and use the code MIMI, M-I-M-I, at checkout for a hefty discount. Enjoy. Yeah, I feel like our world demands that we present an identity so that it can be like comfortably cataloged by Mm -hmm. everyone else. He is an athlete. She is an Ivy League student. He is outgoing and social. She is introverted. He is a hard worker. She has money. Or she's good with money. All of these labels, I think we've all heard them. They're especially popular in family dynamics. You know, your your parents label you. Your your siblings label you. Your relatives label you. And we think that in order to be worthy of love, we must live up to the expectations of others that we then place on ourselves. We need to realize that these expectations are the expressions of of what we have agreed to partake in, not necessarily our true nature. Mm -hmm. So I have agreed to be an athlete at this point in time, but it is not me. You know, for example, like I was a great young athlete. I was really good at basketball when I was a teenager and I played in college. But when I left basketball, when Mm -hmm. I was done with basketball, it was a complete ego death for me. And what's funny is it wasn't the, it wasn't the, missing of the sport it was who am i without people thinking that i'm good at basketball anymore yeah same with money i've always been good with money and i feel this immense pressure to be successful with it mm-hmm. half the time it's not about the work it's not about what i'm doing it's about if i'm the guy who's good at money and doesn't make money or is not <laughs> you know what are people yeah. going to think of me what am i going to think totally. of myself same with or, you know my, my work at Organifi. I'm the Organifi guy. I'm super into supplements. I'm, I'm, I work out all the time. I keep my body looking a particular way. What if I didn't? What if I'm that guy mm-hmm. and I don't look like that guy anymore? Yeah. What is going to happen with that? <laughs> and it's just real. It, it sinks home. Totally. Absolutely. I think... I think everyone listening can identify with that to some degree where it's like maybe some point in their life they identified with this certain aspect of their identity of what they present to people in the world. Like for me, it was definitely an ego death for me to step away from dental hygiene, Um, not just because I was passionate about it and I loved it so much. I loved being a hygienist and I was good at it. it. It felt like it was part of me, my identity. I was top of my class, all these freaking awards. My sister even named me the tooth fairy, just, you know, uh, kind of in a funny way. Um, I was deep in that world. And when I stepped away, I didn't know what I was stepping into. Um, and I'm so glad I did, but it was still really hard to step away. And, and I, I still call myself a dental hygienist, you know, sometimes. And, and it's just, it's still, I can still feel a few of those fibers connecting me because I loved it so much. And, you know, in this example of being um, being attached to these different aspects of your identity, I think for the feminine, 
Um, this can really show up, you know, in the home, maybe like a stay at home mom or even just any mom who finds her worth in feeling needed by her family and her kids. And we all know this, <laughs> this archetype. We see it in movies and TV played out probably in real life as well, where it's this overgiving mother who, who, you know, is overtired and overstressed. And she has maybe lost a little bit of herself along the way where she lives her world for her kids and her family, which, you know, at its root is, is kind of a, um, it's rooted in, in beauty. It's rooted in her love, right? But it can go to the extreme where it now is, um, it's pushing her away from her own self, her own soul and passions and goals and everything like that. So it's like, maybe she did have this dream of being a mother when she was young, but what about as she ages? And, and does that mean she has to like forego her other dreams and passions and interests yeah. and her own, you know, self-love of, of filling up her own cup? And I think it can get to the point where, you know, some moms I think feel guilty for just taking time even to like bathe themselves. Yeah. When, when the identity is attached to something external. So if it's, you know, the mother and your identity as the mother is attached to the dynamic of the family and the home, you're going to be subject to the ups and downs of the home dynamic. Different from whether Megan is the identity and that's me. And I have interests outside of one of the roles that I play, which is the, which is the mother, or which is the, the spouse. And I think so whether it's mom, spouse, dad, sibling, when you externalize your identity and place it into something outside of you, if you can't control it completely, you're going to be subject to this roller coaster ride of the changing mm -hmm. dynamics of that identity. Here's, you know, big secret. You can't control what's outside of you. Yeah. All you can really have control over is, yeah. is yourself. Mm -hmm. So how about you place your identity you know, within your authentic self, which is a, which is always a journey. We never totally. quite know. And it's always peeling back the layers and, yeah. and, and allowing yourself to evolve. But especially in the, fa uh, the family dynamic, I think you see it with moms a lot. You externalize your identity to the kids or to your partner. Men do the same thing in a lot of ways. And you're going to be subject to disappointment when the home is chaotic because it inevitably will be. Um, you're going to be maybe at a loss when your kids move on from life and your identity is now in four different states, a mm -hmm. bunch of different jobs, and you don't have this, you know, resume for being like, okay, that's me. That's me. Okay. Here's the kids. They're here. This is what we do. And yeah. now I'm comfortable in my own identity because I can see mm -hmm. them and what they're doing. And we'll get into this more uh, later because this has a lot to, a lot of, um, you know, crossover with some of the other reasons we talk about. Yeah. And, and continuing the conversation for the feminine, um, not only does this show up in the home with kids and family and everything, but this attachment or this identity in success or your achievements can also show up for the woman who is trying to advance her career. Because by definition, in our world, to be quote unquote successful for, for most people, what that looks like is really stepping into masculine energy which is penetrating, it's analytical, it's decisive, it's stable, it's responsible. All of those things are under, you know, the masculine type energy. And women have this as well, doesn't matter. If you're male or female, you have both of these masculine and feminine energies. And so for a woman who is um, feminine at her core, like my essence is 
feminine is omega, as I call it, to be quote unquote successful and, and achieve things in our world, you do have to wear these different masculine hats, which is fine. It's totally fine. Um, but I think there is some level of unconsciousness because we as women have to wear all these different hats and build up these masculine shells to be taken seriously and to get the same pay as a man and to achieve the same things. And so we keep these shells and these masculine hats on us. And if your core, if your essence is feminine and you're not allowing her to breathe sometimes and just be and not really cultivating your feminine energy, your deep feminine energy, um, and this is something that I just talked about in my deep love course literally last week is, is helping women cultivate a deep omega, deep feminine practice to really tap into themselves. And I can't even tell you <laughs> how many of them were just like, oh my God, this is something that I've needed my whole life and I've never been able mm-hmm. to articulate it. It's really, really a difficult thing to, to navigate as a woman in this world. Um, and I just wanted to speak to that because if you've felt this and never been able to really put your finger on it, that's probably what it is if you are successful as a woman in your job or career, but you feel something lacking on your feminine side or just letting that femininity flow. Yeah. So that can also be a, a sort of death by success. Definitely. Yeah. You know, getting into why you may not be happy, even though on paper it may seem successful. I think it really comes down to the ego, your ego. Your ego is an incredible tool. It's an incredible attribute of the human experience. And it can actually allow you to be very successful in the label that you have identified yourself with. It might have brought you praise, money, possessions, fun, friends. Like all of these are fine. They're totally fine. And that's the beauty of using the ego. But it can actually make things worse over time if you're not able to separate who you are from your achievements. Because if these are not your true nature or maybe you change over the course of time, God forbid, (laughs) you are telling yourself the story that I cannot truly be me in order to be loved. Yeah. It's like the deep sensitivity or the deep fear of being worthless. Yeah. And really the stress of being something that you are not will ultimately lead to your demise, just to your misery the stress, the weight of pretending, or maybe it's just that the steps and the work it takes to maintain that label are just too much. I mean, this is a recipe for like a psychotic break, you know? How many how many athletes have you seen who their sport has turned into just labor mm-hmm. and the mental toll and the emotional toll that it takes on them to be performing at that stage, at that level, at at the expectations of all these talking heads and media is just too much that they have to back out. They have, I think it's a great thing, but mental, uh, you know, illness or, or mental, um, health is coming up as a big topic in a lot mm-hmm. of these athletes in, in the modern day. And it's because of this pressure to live mm-hmm. up to the label. You know, it's like, it's like Aladdin from, uh, the Disney movie wanting to be a prince. He's like, okay, once I'm a prince, Jasmine will love me. You know, he's asking the genie to make him a prince and all this kind of stuff. But once he inauthentically becomes the prince and she falls in love with me, he is now bound to keeping up 
the mask of the prince and it mm-hmm. you know ultimately leads to him just having a complete like ego death and yeah. crisis in the, in the movie but it's it's a beautiful example of how this plays out yeah you can tell we're 90s disney kids yeah totally aladdin's <laughs> probably my favorite yeah and i think for specifically the feminine this can show up um you know when you attract the masculine with a sort of like superficial feminine you know we all learn yeah. how to put gloss on right I mean, gloss as in just gloss on our surface, right? Like shiny earrings and makeup and perfect eyelashes and lip gloss and a push-up bra and, you know, sexy outfit. All all of that is, there's nothing wrong with it in and of itself. But when that's what it is that you're, that you think will attract a man that you want, then once you don't have those things, say you wake up the next morning and, you know, you, there's no gloss, <laughs> there's no makeup, your hair extensions are out and your push-up bra is off and you got crust in your yeah. eyes and you're wondering like, oh shit, is he still going to like me? <laughs> is he still going to love me when I'm not in that, you know, it, when I don't, when I don't have that superficial beauty, like attached yeah. to me. It makes me think of the SpongeBob episode where he puts, you know, he's like, at the at the beach with like Larry who's the lifeguard and he's super strong and Spongebob's super insecure about his scrawny arms so he gets these like inflatable arms yeah. that look like <laughs> completely jacked and it's like a ton of praise he gets a ton of popularity you know Larry thinks he's like you know a complete bro like a complete meathead and then they go into this like competition where they have to lift weights and, and Spongebob <laughs> can't even handle it obviously because his arms are completely blown up and fake and has a complete you know breakdown and yeah. it's a, a, again a perfect example of this really core principle of just like be authentic. Yeah, totally. So how do we work through this? And, and what are some resources for kind of working through this attachment to identity? So this one is funny. It can start to seem like everyone else's fault. Yeah. Because there is this external expectations that others have of you. Well, my dad has me labeled as this. Well, my coach has me labeled as this. You know, my community, my work, my boss. But the hack is removing the expectation of yourself because really you have accepted that expectation and made it your own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think if you just simply blame others, um, if you don't push past that first tendency, then you're just keeping yourself in sort of like victim mindset and nothing productive can be done from that mode. Yeah. Like I said, it's actually you placing that expectation upon yourself. If you do this, you will immediately remove the expectations that others have of you just by relieving yourself of that expectation. We suffer when an expectation of us has not been met, right? But even if it ultimately is met, we will suffer anyway, just simply due to the fact that having an outcome in mind will completely take you out of the present moment. Mm-hmm. Those present moments are where you experience awe, surprise, play, connection. So by attaching an expectation of who you are and your identity to something in a label will pull you completely out of the present moment, whether or not you live up to that expectation or not. Yeah. And we're sort of making it sound like it's just like, oh, just release all the expectations. Just release your attachment. Just Just let it go. And it's really like this is something that you and I talk about all the time is very real in our lives. You know, as you develop these sort of like what people know you for, Yeah, (laughs) you know. And so, um, again, there's nothing wrong with these things in and of themselves. It's when you 
you know, approach a time in your life where maybe this thing isn't serving you anymore. And you're able to really look on it without bias and and ask those hard questions like, do I want to keep doing this thing? Is it still serving me? Do I want to stay in this job? Do I want to stay in this relationship? Do I want to keep doing this thing even though I hate it? Mm-hmm. That's what we mean. It doesn't mean that you can't have goals or a vision or like what people know you for or whatever. There's nothing wrong with that. But this also comes down to, you know, self-love really. And I feel like so much in life comes down to just love. And this would be an invitation, you know, moving past this would be an invitation to kind of reframe your view on self-love. Because, for example, a, a lot of of times it's taught in the kind of spiritual space, in the self-development space to write down 10 reasons or tell yourself 10 reasons in the mirror every day why you love yourself. Well, I'm kind. I am generous. I am intelligent. Again, nothing wrong with saying those things. But now what you're doing is you're giving your ego body, the thing that likes to separate you from everyone else, your personality, right? You're giving your ego things to latch onto. So what happens when you're not kind? What happens right. when you're not generous? What happens when you don't feel intelligent? Does that mean now you are not worthy of love? No, of course not, right? So it's just, that can be a step in the ladder of figuring out what true, real self-love is. But how I have come to really approach self-love is as self-knowledge, knowing that at my core, I am love. I don't have to do anything or be anything to achieve love or to feel loved by someone else. I already am love. And when I am not feeling that for myself or from someone else, it's not that the love has gone anywhere else. It's that I am not knowing myself properly. So really what it is, is knowing that you have a well of love in you all the time that is accessible at any moment of any day. And when you're not feeling it, it's like, okay, what is a hindrance? What is a barrier? What is a shield or a shell that is keeping me from knowing my true nature, which is love? Yeah. So when you can approach self-love that way, just knowing it's always on the inside. And if you're not feeling it, it's like, okay, what can I look at? What am I feeling? It, it really gives you <laughs> some liberation and a sense of real power, really, yeah. is, is you're not, you're not, um, your sense of love is not attached to something outside of you, even if it's like a characteristic, like intelligence or generosity or whatever. So yep. I hope that makes sense. It makes sense. I have so many things I want to say, but it'll be a five hour episode <laughs> I if I continue to do so. <laughs> I, one of the things that I love that you keep coming back to is just, you keep saying I am and that's it. That's mm-hmm. enough. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's an ancient piece of wisdom and it's been misconstrued all over the place, but simply I am am is enough and the rest is up for you to discover you know Love it. so you know practically i say rip the band-aid off you can start small like start practicing this in your life detaching yourself from labels what is one small label that you can start to break away from like start sharing with your friends and your community what your true self is actually interested in if they love you they'll support you if they reject this new version of you it's a sign that they only love the label. 
It's a sign that they do not unconditionally love you and in the long run are not likely a productive part of your best life. Yeah, and it's also showing that they don't, they haven't tapped into that unconditional love for themselves either. Totally. And so what does that look like? You know, for me, I was uh, categorized as an introvert as a kid and like a shy introvert. Oh, Chase really keeps to himself. And in my late 20s, I was just like, fuck this. I have a lot of things to say. Yeah. <laughs> and I just started to let my people, my community, my friends know. Like, I just started telling them, I I am very social. Mm-hmm. I love conversation. I will any open opportunity for me to talk, I'm into it. Yeah. And at first it was a little like, whoa, really? You? But over time, I felt it. It was authentic. And now that community has either been exfoliated of people who uh, don't like that version of me that has opinions or they're supportive of it. Yeah. And it's really been uh, uh, beautiful for me. You know, the other thing I think is learning about the idea of the ego. Mm-hmm. And forming a healthy relationship with it. That, right. That we don't have to... Murder the ego. Demonize yeah. or, you know, even kill it. Like we use the term like ego death just kind of to paint a picture. But it's it's really about learning about its, about the nature of the ego. And uh, when you do that, you, you're, you're sort of able to identify when the ego voice is not needed, but there are times in life (laughs) when we do need our, when we do need our ego, it has a function. It's not evil. It's just learning. It's like social media. It's like, there's a lot, you know, a lot of functionality in the space of social media. Is it also uh, can be like dangerous and toxic? Of course. It just depends on learning the nature of it and how you interact with it and forming a relationship that is advantageous to you. Totally. It's a tool. I would recommend The Four Agreements uh, by Don Miguel Ruiz. It's a beautiful foundational, I said that really weird, like a mystery accent. It was a foundational book. Australian. Yeah, it was. A little foundational. Um, And then the book, The Untethered Soul. Both of these are really great starting points, showing you the concepts and the steps to begin observing your egoic tendencies and behaviors. Yep, love those. I would also recommend following Aubrey Marcus and Aaron Abke. Aaron's been on the show a ton. He is literally like a VIP guest. We'll get him on anytime he wants to say anything. And then Aubrey is just kind of a, a superhuman in the self-development, spirituality, fitness space. Both of these guys are putting out amazing content on the difference between, you know, things like the ego, the identity, and the self. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a quote from Aubrey that I that I really love is, the ego sees value in what is scarce. You know, things like money, physical beauty, fame the soul sees value in that which is abundant presence experience love Mm, i love that you know going back to my example in my life my coming out to my family uh and and a real change of my community it just how i embody this is i like i said i started with my family i started with my friends and i started saying letting them know and then also living a life where for me was not really uh, a Christian and not part of the Christian community anymore. That was a hard conversation for where I came out of, but it was authentic. Yo, my work environment that I was in, I'm not really money hungry. I, I am not like super uber profit driven. It's just a misalignment in the way that I see business. I'm not also going to be a workaholic. I don't like that version of myself. Mm-hmm. And so they either left me or I left them depending on where I was going. 
not saying it was easy, but it was like a step towards being authentic, a step towards removing yeah. my attachment to the labels that I either had been given or accepted of myself. I think sometimes when this happens, uh, we, we saw it in both of our lives. Uh, I think yours more so maybe, um, was there's that initial separation where you feel distant from maybe friends or family, family members, or, or maybe even your partner or whatever. Um, but then once you're living authentically in your truth and what's real for you, it's, it's by default, you will be more joyful, more loving, more happier for sure. And when your family witnesses that version of you, that is, it'll be bright, it'll be shinier. Mm, Um, we, we felt it in, in our relationship when we were coming back together in part two, you know, there were some questions, there were some concerns. There was like, is this really the right thing to do? And because we stood in our authenticity and we're like, nope, we know our souls want to be together. Absolutely. 100%. There was, there were some people in our family that, you know, it took some time for them to come around, but once they saw the fruits of our relationship that, oh my God, they, they need to be together. And now we have everyone in our families full support, not just support, but like literally cheering us on and love that we're, that we're back together. So it, it can start out sort of distanced, but if you are living in alignment with your soul, with your authentic soul, I, I could, I would wager that probably some of those relationships are going to come back around and really be like, damn, they're really happy. They're really healthy. They, they seem like they're doing really, really well for themselves. Like that's great. Yep. No, I can, I can absolutely speak to that. And it's been um, evident in both of our lives. So that is, uh, you know, kind of wrapping up the, the first reason that reason being your identity is placed in the labels of success for you. Hey, hey, homies. All right, here's a question we get all the time. Is it okay for generally healthy people to take immune Intel AHCC, or is it just for people with serious illness? This is a great question. And most of the world is aware now just how critical a healthy, functional immune system is in order to maintain long-term health. But it's still easy to forget about your immune system until it's too late, until there's a breakdown somewhere, until your body is dealing with something quite serious. So what happens when generally healthy people take AHCC? Well, it's sort of like fixing the roof when the sun is shining. And now your house is much less likely to flood because of a leak. How does it do this? AHCC works like a boss to quickly enhance the immune system, cell function, and communication. For example, the NK, natural killer cells, these are white blood cells that specialize in attacking tumor cells and cells infected with viruses. AHCC has proven to increase your NK cells by up to 800% in a matter of weeks. And T-cells, these immune soldiers are important because they help direct your body's immune response. Certain types of T-cells can actually seek out and kill foreign invaders. And AHCC helps promote optimal T-cell activity. I know that I want this intelligence in my body every single day. So Chase and I both take at least two capsules of Immune Intel AHCC every single day without fail. 
If you'd like to start blessing your body with this daily intelligence, go to themedicine.com forward slash products, or just check the show notes below. Cheers, boo. We're back. All right. Moving on to the second reason why you might be successful, but you may not be happy. And mm-hmm. we talked a little bit about identity and, and, and placing and having an attachment to an identity. Now we're going to talk about attachment to your possessions. Big start, one. Start with a couple of quotes. Yeah. One from this somewhat, you know, maybe kind of like locally famous guy named <laughs> Buddha. He says the root of suffering is attachment. And then another quote from Miguel Ruiz Jr., Don Miguel Ruiz, author of The Four Agreements. This is his son. The more attached you are to something, the more your vision is obscured and narrowed. Sometimes, to the point, you are convinced that there is only one way to proceed. Yeah, that's that's a huge one. And I think it's a really good representation of <laughs> what we've all seen out, <laughs> what we've all seen play out globally the last few years people being so attached to their ideas whatever they may be on whatever side that not only do they have like a narrow vision but it also like creates very real hate for anyone else who has a maybe a, a slightly different viewpoint than yours totally and when we say possessions and attachment to possessions this can be physical things this can be communities. This can be ideologies. Yeah. We have a tendency as humans to constantly be identifying ourselves. We have this desire to figure ourselves out. And we do this often by either creating a figurative display with our possessions or these things that we're associated with, like groups, so that we can have a clear idea of who we are. Like, okay, if I can put these things out in front of me and I can see them... I'm going to more clearly be able to call myself an individual and and I can define myself through these things. Mm -hmm. For instance, I'm a family man and as such, I will have a big house and a big yard and a bunch of toys for my kids to play with. That will make me a family man. See, that shows that I'm, I have a family or maybe someone who's in shape and fit. You know, this, this for me definitely uh, resonates. So, I want to be in shape. I want to be fit. I want to be associated with that type of person. So I make sure I have all the fitness equipment. I make sure that I have the muscles and the lean body fat percentage. See, I am healthy or shit like the spiritual person. Mm -hmm. Look at all my crystals. Look at all my Buddha statues. Uh, I burn sage every morning. Those are freaking awesome. And all these things are great. Yeah. But if you're doing it in order to find yourself or identify yourself you're you're missing the point you're putting your identity in an external attachment Mm -hmm. yeah i think uh something that's quite new in our world go ahead on the on the by the way i'm I'm hitting the hitting the bag little tobacco a little uh shaman's whisper blend (laughs) and we're talking about spirituality yeah so um if you hear a little crinkle crackle crinkle crackle it's just a little medicine love it sounds so intense um one thing that's quite new in our world where it's like the perfect representation of something that is only for its only function is to show other people that you have the thing yeah this is the nft i don't even really know what it stands for do you know do you know what it stands for non-fungible token okay 
non-fungible token. I'm sure a lot of you have heard about NFTs and it's literally you can buy a digital, maybe you can explain it better, but it's it's basically just a a digital kind of copyright mm-hmm. to something. So it's kind of hard to explain and it's kind of even hard for most of us to wrap our minds around because it's like, well, what do you do with it? And it's literally just to say that you have the thing. There's no actual function for an NFT. It's just to say, oh yeah, I have the NFT for that. It's not a new concept. It's just kind of sexy because it's digital, but Beanie Babies, um, sports trading cards, although they're physical possessions, they're not really things. There's a agreed upon collective value based on sort of hype a lot of times um, that people who possess them have value because other people have given them value and right. want to possess them. But at least with Beanie Babies and and trading cards, they're physical. You can hold them. You can play with them if you want. I mean, you can. They're right. physical. I mean, and, and a Beanie Baby does also serve a function as a stuffed animal maybe for like a kid. Sure. There's functionality in NFTs as well. Um, and we don't need to get into that. But I think they're incredible. I think there's a lot of hype to them, but I think they are the future of of being able to monetize business. You know, they can al- almost be looked at like like stock certificates and, and having some level of ownership or support through the purchase of NFTs. And there, there's a lot of use to them. But your your point is not missed, and it's it's spot on. It's this collective agreed upon value, and and basically like collections at large are this way of ensuring that by your possessions you are worthy of something some identity you're worthy because you have the thing and we do do this with our communities too we all want to be a part of a group or a community you know to find that place that allows us to clearly identify ourselves amongst the many individuals on this planet it's tribalism i am a republican or i am a democrat i'm a crossfitter I'm a Seattle Seahawks fan. And it's not to say that those communities uh, are not important. I think in community, we can experience, you know, abilities to have harmonious relationships with other people and feel the deeper truth that we are all one, you know, that we have so much in common with other people. But these can quickly turn into attachment. Mm -hmm. And it's like a slippery slope for just blindly accepting ideologies of the group to the point that it begins to cross over to your own individual core values like you know for instance you know because i'm a republican i don't believe that homosexuals deserve equal rights do you or are you just associating with the group and just kind of adopting the ideologies or like i'm a seahawks fan therefore i cannot root for watching the 49ers play football really like does it have to be that way i mean we see it in fitness and nutrition all the time i'm keto therefore all forms of carbohydrate, even even fruits, yeah, not healthy. Yeah, I think that this, you know, it's it's like tribalism, tribalism taken to the extreme, to the point where you stop listening to your own ideas, opinions, and intuition, even if it's giving you direct feedback. Like, I mean, any nutritional dogmatic rule where it's like I'm keto so I can't have this well what happens when you start feeling really crappy because most people do when they're subscribed to a very strict dogmatic nutritional protocol 
when you start when you start ignoring those signals from your own experience that's when you know you have an unhealthy attachment because someone could be like well I I want to be a Seahawks fan and and we're not saying that there's anything wrong with you know these things in and of themselves it's when you kind of stop listening to your own ideas and intuition for sake of being part of this group right totally and it's, it's the reason why you can technically be successful with possessions, successful with groups, but ultimately or inevitably, eventually not happy. You know, the tough part about being successful in the modern world is that you can accumulate some pretty awesome things, like mm-hmm. some pretty awesome physical possessions, house, car, money, vacations, that even if it is killing you to earn these things, the love of the things that you've accumulated can actually turn into this fear of losing them. Mm-hmm. This fear that if you're to change in any way and become maybe even more authentic to who you are, you'll lose them. Yeah. And this is, there's a big difference between wanting or like, oh, you know, I want to work towards that goal of, you know, I'd really love a, a, a water rower in our home. I'm going to save up. I'm going to work towards this goal. This would be, you know, bring me immense value. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, It's when the, the letting the fruits of your labor add to your life versus be the source of joy. Yeah. So like, we're not shy about, you know, we, we have dreams and we have things like, Ooh, that'll be great to have someday in our, you know, medicine cabinet or Mm -hmm. whatever like these dreams that we have it's it it shouldn't ever be the main source or well of your happiness for you to go and dip down like oh I just need something else I need a, a, a physical possession for me to be happier in this life yeah so you know how's this look I think this is very very familiar but even though I'm miserable at my job I make great money and I don't want to lose my salary. I'm going to to talk about more on this one specifically uh, in in a minute. Or maybe I'm worried that if I don't work a hundred hours a week, I'll lose my house, cars and vacation. Or I can't move to a better community or a geographical location that would probably make my life better because, you know, my family has been in this town for a long time, for decades, or people know me here. My kids are at school here. I'm comfortable even if you're comfortable and familiar, you may still be living less than your potential. Mm -hmm. You know, for instance, when I left uh, Deloitte, I was making great money at 27 years old, well into six figures, but I was miserable. I was unhealthy. I was working nonstop. But like, even with the misery, I had bought this condo that we live in. I had a corporate credit card. I could use it on food and booze and, and fun nights. I used the money that I was making to buy cool shit. And it was a struggle to have to think about giving those pleasures up. Yeah. Yeah. I think that this also ties into people not having a dream or a legacy. You know, we, Paul Check talks about this all the time that if you don't have an established dream or this legacy that you want to leave behind um, dream that you want to work towards you'll be working towards someone else's dream and 
all along the way, you'll again feel like, why am I not fulfilled? Why am I not fulfilled? And you and I are, are working, you know, through one of his courses right now. Um, it's called like uh, PPS Mastery, right? Mm-hmm. A really awesome course. And it's it's helping us to really nail down our dream. And then everything we do in life is like the dream is in the center of the wheel of our life. Yeah. And then every spoke is that what it's called? Spoke? Spoke, yeah. Yeah, spoke of a wheel. Yeah, <laughs> it just sounded weird coming out of my mouth. Every spoke of the wheel is, at- is then attached to our dream. And so everything that you do in your life, you know, somehow relates back to the dream for your life. So that that's another thing that we haven't touched on that, um, you know, I think is, is really important to have, you know, especially if you're getting into your, maybe not so much in your, you know, early 20s, you're kind of still figuring yourself out and figuring out who you want to be and where you want to, like what you want to establish and everything. But as you get into your 30s and definitely with a family, and I think it's really important to establish what your main dream in life is yeah and if what you're doing doesn't have a direct correlation or support for that dream or for yeah. the legacy there's a good chance it may end up feeling unhappy yeah even or if just, you yeah, are empty. even if you are successful like yeah. having all this stuff is defined as success in our current world but you know maybe that's for your job or your status in the community you know wherever you live but it's so easy to become obligated to serve those attachments and take on this fear of losing them losing you like Mm -hmm. they are you and if you lose them you lose you and there's this consistent theme throughout this which is man what will people think Mm -hmm. this is a prison yeah totally and and i think that we (laughs) we think that more than we should like what are people gonna think um when really most people are not thinking about you as much as you think that they are thinking about you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, You know, I think that again, you can have a ton of success when we're talking about communities and these, these attachments to possessions in the form of communities, you can have a ton of success. It can be your tribe. You know, maybe it's a company you work for. Maybe it's a church or a political party. We've talked about, you know, being sports fans in a community, but if you change the group, might not change with you over time and you may not feel aligned any longer that will eat you up Mm -hmm. but if you've become (laughs) dependent on them to help you establish the identity of who you are it really is scary to consider what it would be like to lose it i mean yeah you hear horror stories about people i mean i've heard plenty um about all sorts of people hundreds probably at this point of people who you know, uh, uh, subscribe to a certain nutritional dogma, veganism being a really popular one because people tie it to ethical reasons, which is totally fine, but it's really, really hard to do right for a long period of time. And so people, many people start feeling really, um, depressed, nutritionally deficient, low libido, like all sorts of things. And there is this very real feeling of even though I feel horrible, I don't know what I'll do without this community. Or I'm worried that I'll lose friends if I tell them that I'm eating animal products again. Right. And like people get like death threats. Like it is insane how deep some of these groups go and how how very real that fear is once that once once you're in 
and you feel kind of like locked yeah, in. Yeah, well, it's a trip, right? Because, you know, let's just use church or, or religion as an example. Say you joined a Christian church 10 years ago. You were alone, you were depressed, maybe you're unsure of your purpose, and you found this community of people who came together, you know, once a week to serve some greater purpose than themselves in the form of, you know, the Christian God. You know, you may have gained friends, ultimately become closer to love, but maybe now, 10 years later, you're starting to believe that something like, you know, reincarnation is real, or that God is not necessarily the depiction of the Christian God with a big white beard and surfer Jesus. Or maybe you're questioning the existence of hell. So you start to feel guilt. You start to feel a little bit of shame. And that can really eat away at you over time. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, sorry. I thought you were done. No, I am. I didn't know if you were going to go. Oh, I was, yeah, I was just going to say that we receive (laughs) messages all the time and I, I don't think I've shared them really um, on Instagram or on here, but we receive messages all the time from people who are coming out of the religion closet, so to speak. And, you know, we're not telling people to do this, but what's really great is, is people are just, you know, by listening to the medicine, they're gaining confidence and comfort in like, okay, this is okay. I can do this. Other people have done it. Other people are doing it. And just hearing our authentic stories, um, you know, we're not trying to convince anyone of anything, but just by sharing our personal experiences um, has really helped a lot of other people kind of take that first step out of that closet, which can be really, really scary. Yeah. I think a couple other examples of this, um, politics and sports, we've already talked about them a little bit, but you know, maybe you align with a certain political party. You found yourself outsourcing your own opinion on social matters, political matters, um, strictly to the, the party. You know, the group that you were once aligned, aligned with, maybe, you know, you even saved some money, saved some taxes, or, you know, you were given welfare because of the structures of this, this particular political party's beliefs. But now you realize there's, you know, excommunication and isolation because you may not have a consistent shared idea with this political party. Again, this is like miserable to have to have this <laughs> disconnect if you've associated yourself with these groups. Yeah, and I, I, it just reminds me of, you know, if you're not allowing yourself this space and freedom to change and evolve, <laughs> which is like inevitable for all of us, Um, some faster than others, but if you're not giving yourself that freedom and space, you are likely not going to give others that same freedom and space. And, you know, this only adds to the division and the duality and the restrictive conditional types of relationships. We see this in relationship all the time between, you know, partners or husband and wife where one person is changing and the other is is not for whatever reason and it's like who are you you're not the person that i married who are you and it, it, they almost get like afraid of this person changing and it's it's really kind of on an energetic level we when we're in that space of not allowing others to change or ourselves we're energetically communicating to each other i like love and accept you only if you are the version of you that I have in my mind and that it stays intact, which like when you lay it out like that is so fucked up. It is. It's conditional love (laughs) and it's codependence, especially in relationships. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a 
seems like a harmless example, but sports fandom is is a, the same way. It's intense. And you, I mean, you're coming from a this is coming from a freaking avid sports fan. Yeah. I absolutely love sports. But if you're attached to a sports team, your happiness could very well mm-hmm. depend on whether the team wins or loses games. Like, even though at one point you you may have had a ton of fun at the bar rooting for your team with like other fans. Maybe you're kind of tired of your mood and your emotional state being completely subject to whether or not your t- team wins, like on Sundays. Yeah. But you feel like you have to watch the game. Do you remember the uh, documentary? Uh, I think it was somewhere in Alabama about yeah. two football teams that hated each other yeah, to the Auburn point. Auburn and Alabama. Yeah. Is it Auburn and Alabama? Um, they they hate each other to the point. Not even just the teams, but the fans. There was act, like there was deaths. Yeah. <laughs> People were literally killing each other because of the color of the jersey yep. that their team wears. Like essentially, when you break it down, yeah. that's what it is. And it's just fucking mind blowing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's completely wild. But you know, how do we work through this? What are what are some of the resources for working through this attachment to possessions and attachment to communities? It's funny, I think we shit on people all the time who are uber collectors or hoarders yeah but there's we all, a show about it but we all do it in different ways yeah and there's nothing wrong with collecting things but like i sort of see them and and us all of us who have these collections of sorts as people who aren't quite comfortable with themselves and almost need to create a resume of worthiness through their possessions and attachments in order to feel more whole like filling the gaps within themselves with just things yeah so let go of the pursuit of accumulating enough things in order to validate yourself, in order to yeah. identify yourself externally. Rather, find something so engaging, so enthralling that you actually forget about yourself. You forget about your identity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like podcasting. We yeah. forget that our bodies exist and totally. we just float away into the audio waves. So like, what can you do today? I would say, again, start small. Small possessions, where are they at in your life? Maybe get rid of one, sell Mm -hmm. it, gift it, step outside of the one community maybe. Like it can be as simple as like a a text thread that no longer sort of lights you up Mm -hmm. or an online group. See if it feels more freeing. Maybe start something that does not have any outcome attached to it. Something like painting, like art, music. Go for a walk without a destination. Just remove the attachment to things i think it's a ramdas quote and i just love this but our journey is about being more deeply involved in life and yet less attached to it Mm -hmm. i love that one and and this danielle laporte quote remind reminds me of that it's the same concept she says i want to live deeper but lighten up and uh definitely cleansing of physical possessions it's a it's a seemingly trivial thing but we all know the feeling of like spring cleaning or like you do a cleanse in your closet and it's like oh i can take a deeper breath and just this stuff isn't like clinging to me as much i it's like palpable it's tangible it's it's physically felt yeah clear up some of those predefined identities and open up for, open up just the space in yourself to become something more new, evolved, novel. Yeah. All right. So that was number two, attachment to possessions, attachment to communities. And lastly, the third reason why you may be successful 
but ultimately not happy would be that you are addicted to a numbing lifestyle of pleasure. So Naval Ravikant, who is an entrepreneur and investor, has a really great content around money and mindsets with money. He says that people who are living far below their means enjoy a freedom that people busy upgrading their lifestyles just can't fathom. And I think that's very important. Do not upgrade your lifestyle all the time if you want to maintain your freedom. Once you make a little bit of money, you can have a tendency to upgrade your lifestyle. You upgrade that house, you upgrade the lifestyle, and all that stuff. The most dangerous things are heroin and a monthly salary, <laughs> right? Because they're highly addictive. The way you want to get wealthy is you want to be poor. Ideally, you want to make your money in discrete lumps, separated over long periods of time, so that your own lifestyle does not have a chance to adapt quickly. And then you just basically say, okay, now I'm free. I'm going to work because you got me because you got to do something with your time, but I'm going to work on only the things that I want when I want. And so you have much more creative expression and much less care about money. Hey homies, whether you are wanting to improve your overall health, build healthy muscle or boost your immune function, what is not talked about enough is our sleep. We need regular, deep, restorative sleep in order for all of our body's different systems to operate at top notch, no matter what our goals are. This is where our good friends at Ned come through big time for me. The most effective combination I have found for quality sleep is the Sleep Blend Hemp Oil and the Mellow Magnesium Powder from Ned. I use both individually and in combination about an hour before bed and I sleep like a baby. If you want to dive even deeper into all of Ned's incredible products and backstory, you can listen to episode number 49 of The Medicine where Chase and I interview Adrian Zimmerman, co-founder of Ned. And to give your body the blessing of great sleep ASAP, try these organic and wildcrafted products at helloned.com and you can use the code medicine, that's M-E-D-I-C-I-N for a nice discount. Then enjoy sleeping like a sweet, sweet baby. Cheers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. It's like, <clears throat> we were just talking about this the other night where, um, I think it's so common for people to, oh, I got a raise and you immediately go get something else like a, oh, I'm going to upgrade my car. Or, oh, now we can finally afford that apartment that we've been lusting after or whatever. It's an immediate, it's just like wired into us. And I think a lot of it comes from just consumerism and materialism all around us. Like, marketers know what they're doing yeah they want you to feel like you're missing out if you don't have this thing and they're, they're smart and the things have pleasure associated totally with you know we're talking specifically here about the slavery of wages it's not everyone but there's a lot of people who find that their life is spent doing things they don't necessarily want or love to do but they do it for money like for the paycheck it's how the most of the world is set up and the way that salaries bonuses promotions usually work <clears throat> is that you're compensated more, yes, but you're required to do more. You know, it's mm -hmm. like managing more people, literally just dealing with more stress. And by default, the increased compensation, which results in more time, energy, and stress, actually requires the compensation of your personal well-being, mm -hmm. your personal life. 
you begin to feel lack in your purpose, your wellness and your happiness as you're given, give just literally like giving them away for money. So you feel like you have to increase the consumption of your pleasures in order to compensate for the pain of having to work. The pleasure temporarily feels good. The house feels great. The cars, the vacations, the, the pleasurable food, but it's depleted your monetary resources such that you have to go back into the matrix <laughs> of your working environment and strive harder for the next bonus, harder yeah. for the promotion. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is why conscious consumption is so freaking important <clears throat> and the nature of reality as Aaron Abke would say, there is always going to be something else that we will feel like we need to buy or attain to feel happier. Marketers make sure of that. Yeah. They are good at what they do. That is why marketers in car commercials use emotion to sell a $60,000 purchase because they're trying to hit your feelers. They know that we all want things because of the way that we think that we will feel once we have the thing, once we have their product. So if you guys watch commercials, not just car commercials, but all commercials, watch commercials through this lens of what are they wanting me to feel? Yeah. What, what lack are they wanting me to feel right now? And it'll feel like a light switch is turned on. Like if you've never looked at commercials that way, it's kind of like a, I mean, it's kind of like funny. It's entertaining when it's like, oh, they're wanting me to feel lack of blank. Wow. Yeah. Weird. Okay. Yeah. Humans make decisions on emotions and, yeah. and they're tapping into that for sure. It's everywhere. Aubrey Marcus has a really cool quote. Um, he says, everything is important until you are sick. Then you realize there was only ever one thing that was important your health. Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, we borrow from the bank of our health, taking loans on stress and sleepless nights to pay for something that doesn't really matter. Yep. So why you might be successful, but still not happy, you know, from my personal life, I worked at a large financial accounting and consulting firm already mentioned it earlier, like 345,000 employees globally, over 6,000 of them were partners or owners of the firm. $50 billion in revenue. And these, these partners, especially in, in upper level management across the board made millions of dollars a year, traveled all over the world, corporate cards, vacation club memberships. They were all successful, like technically successful, but these people were miserable. Some of them beautifully nice people, but the amount of health issues, relationship issues, infidelity, addictive and compulsive behaviors was too many to count. They brag about never being home. It's like really twisted. I've been uh, to some of their mansions and their wives will make comments like, oh yeah, he's never been in this room of the house, but they've got wine collections and cars and, and there's this just addiction to external numbing of the pain of the work. You know, they're not necessarily aware of it. And I'm sure many of them would say that that is not the case, but there is enough that I witnessed and, and saw yeah. for this to be, <clears throat> to be true and this to be an accurate statement. It's like when you... It's, it's like when you get to a certain level of money after your basic needs and your basic desires are taken care of. I feel like there's a button that's programmed into some, maybe all humans, some it just never gets pushed. 
there's a button that gets programmed in that's like, huh, okay, I'm bored. What else can I spend my money on? Yeah. We see it all, like we've seen it with people that we know personally who are filthy rich. And it's like they're sitting around twiddling their thumbs looking for things that they can, you know, just blow their money on. And uh, it's really kind of sad because I'm not judging anyone or anything. It's just it just is reality. Um, But it it really does make me sad because when I see that, I'm like, what are you what hole? What lack? Yeah. What hole are you trying to fill? Well, and I think sometimes and this has been the case in my life where I'm aware of what I need to work on in myself. I am aware that I need to work on my relationships and working on them would be more fulfilling, would be more satiating. But the work is kind of hard. It's foreign. I don't know it very well. But even if I'm miserable at my profession, I know how to do it. Yeah. And so I continue to do it because it makes me money that I can then feel better in the short term by, mm-hmm. by flooding myself with pleasure. Yeah. And that is kind of the slippery slope is like, I'm going to keep grinding at something that makes me miserable, but I know how to do it really well. Mm-hmm. And it's somewhat easier to do that and get the pleasure from different from having to do something new, something that that's a little more challenging, but would ultimately be more rewarding. And so it's, it's tough. Yeah. I think you see this with celebrities all the time, like famous, rich, but miserable. Like yeah. <laughs> Nick Cage. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I love me some Nicky Cage. <laughs> but he is like notorious for his spending addiction. Uh, he, I didn't know that. Yeah. He he makes like 20 movies a year. And it makes <laughs> Most you... Most of them just go straight to DVD. Right. And it makes you... I don't even think there's DVDs anymore. I, I don't, don't know. where they go. Um, <laughs> but it makes you wonder, like, do you actually like acting anymore? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does make you wonder. I think workaholic is is thrown around like way too often. Some people are just addicted to work, sure, and they're technically workaholics, but many of them are actually just addicted to the dopamine, like addicted to the pleasure, blissed out experience of having worked to make money and then spending it to numb their pains. It's kind of like that vicious loop of over-exercising, punishing your body with long hours in the gym or by fasting and starving yourself to only then allow yourself to binge eat on pleasure-driven foods like fast food and ice cream and cereal for me. Yeah. (laughs) I have totally been here in that fitness loop. Mm -hmm. And you might appear to be in shape. You might appear to be successful based on the fact that, you know, you work out. But that binge and purge lifestyle is a prison. Yeah, totally. And this reminds me of... um, if you know, I know you know, but listeners, Gabor Mate, he is a, he basically teaches on and studies addiction and how it relates to how it's rooted in trauma and pain. And so he is pretty famous for saying the question is not why the addiction, but why the pain. And if rather than, you know, just trying to, oh, just stop doing that or just stop doing this or just stop, you know, uh, exercising too much or just stop drinking or just stop the drugs. It's it's actually like there's another layer deeper that is pain related and trauma related usually where the person is just trying to kind of disassociate themselves from the pain. You know, they're getting some temporary relief from whatever it is that they're trying to numb So that can, I mean, that can manifest in all sorts of different addictions. Like you're talking about, it can be exercise and and then binge eating, or it could be sex, or it could be alcohol or drug use or whatever addiction. 
so how do we work through this? And you know, what are some resources as we kind of wrap this this last reason why you may be successful and not happy up? First, slow down. I think the pace when it comes to being addicted to pleasures is really something that can almost be it can go unnoticed because of the pace with which you live your life. Mm-hmm. So slow down. Yeah. Do something satiating. That can be a, a meal, like mm-hmm. a satiating meal instead of a snack or a transactional, you know, food relationship. Um, it can be uh, something like a hike instead of a intense, short, hard workout, something that's a little more fulfilling. Yeah. I, I I think that this relates back to what I was talking about way at the beginning when I was talking about women um, who don't know really how to cultivate a deep relationship with their femininity. And and men have this too. Like men need to work in all as well and need to kind of be in this restorative space as you're talking about. And so a few questions that you can ask yourself to really um, kind of create your own recipe for restoration is thinking about like, if this is a woman, (laughs) what makes me feel beautiful? A man, maybe not, but (laughs) um, you can also ask what makes me feel serene? What makes me feel calm? Yeah. What makes me feel connected to my body? What makes me feel connected to nature? What makes me feel connected to my intuition? Those are all things that when you sit down and you, you know, list off four or five things for each one of those, you're going to have a set of, you know, 10 to 20 different things that you're telling yourself are restorative for you generally in nature. And so if you don't know where to start, um, start, you know, by answering those questions and then doing more of those things, those things in nature are going to be more satiating than all the things that we just listed for the last hour. (laughs) I agree. Perfectly put. And something satiating, but closely related and often confused with would be hobby versus collection. I think a hobby is satiating. I think it's this relationship with something that is expansive that you can ultimately find completion and, and fulfillment through, but isn't a quick accumulation of stuff. Mm -hmm. I think oftentimes collecting and hoarding can be mistaken for a hobby, but there's something with the relationship of putting work, effort, energy into something and have it turn out to be fulfilling different from I'm going to purchase something or get something and have it sit and, and collect it. Mm-hmm. So like even just the a resource or a, or a, a advice in this space would be like, what is a hobby for you? If you feel like you have a collection, how can you turn that into more of a hobby, more of this, you know, evolving relationship with the thing instead of a just having the thing in your possession, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. And I think this could also be said another way um, relating back to play, which we talk about yeah. all the time. Hobby is like a collection, but make it play. Yeah, make <laughs> you sure know? you can play with it. Yeah, totally. Um, we talked about it earlier, but but try letting go of something like a possession you know, free yourself up a little bit from the attachment to things. Mm-hmm. It's maybe the attachment to stimuli and allow your head and heart for just a minute, uh, the ability to breathe 
and evaluate your life. Yeah, I like the practice of, I don't always do it. I, I could be better at it for sure. This is a good reminder from my soul. Um, when you bring something new into your life, whether that's a new pair of shoes or a new shirt or a new piece of jewelry or whatever, um, make it a practice to also get rid of something that you're not finding useful anymore. So maybe it's, uh, oh, I don't wear these three shirts anymore. Oh, I, you know, these shoes, I haven't worn them in two years. So that there is not this constant accumulation of stuff. It's not to say that you can't, you know, buy new things or, or, or gift yourself something here and there, but like make sure that it's not just acquiring yeah. to acquire, that it's like, okay, I can release something else. I think just energetically, it's this, you know, balance state to be in. Yeah. Going back to the quote from Naval, you know, he sort of says tongue in cheek. I think that's the term, uh, live poor. Yeah. And I don't necessarily think you should live like literally live poor, like be completely scarcity mindset, but basically just simplify. Mm -hmm. Where can you simplify in your life? You talked about cleansing. I think that's a, not just a nice practical tip for living, you know, uh, a lifestyle that supports, you know, abundance and, and, uh, allow space for newness. And I think it's actually just really, really spiritually gifting to yourself and your family by just cleaning things out every now and then. So, yeah. you know, you don't need to pin- pinch every single penny. You don't need to count every single dollar, but where can you simplify? Where can you free up a little space in your physical, literal life, as well as yourself spiritually and emotionally for newness? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think another practice that's really uh, beneficial and valuable is um, exercising your muscle of delaying purchases. So when the with the mindset of, you know, I could buy this now, but I don't have to. My urges don't control me. And this is something that I have done in my life for the past few years. And it, it sounds so simple, but it has completely transformed the way that the, my relationship to material objects, because in a previous life, when you and I were uh, separated, I felt so like liberated because I didn't have anyone, no input basically on what I could or could not buy. And um, like I was kind of swinging to the opposite extreme. And so I was like, I can do whatever I want now. (laughs) And that doesn't, it it doesn't really serve the person, honestly, um, because it makes you kind of flippant and nonchalant with your money, which is not a good place energetically to be, I don't think. So by just changing this small thing where, okay, if I want to buy something or I'm thinking about it, I'll put it in, in the shopping cart and then I'll leave it for two to three days. And oftentimes I actually can sometimes forget about it and, and that just shows you that it's not that important because yeah. sometimes we'll, we'll be in our feels and seeing the marketing and we're like, oh, I need that. I yeah. need that now. Yeah. I need it. So put it in your cart, give it two to three days and then you'll, you'll, you might even forget about it, but if you do truly need it, you won't forget about it. Yeah. And then you can always come back to it. And guess what? There's always going to be a sale. There's always going to be a 50% off. (laughs) There's always going to be a discount code. There's always going to be a buy one, get one. This is not the last time that this company will have that sale. Yeah. (laughs) I've told that myself that so many times where I'm like, but it's buy one, get one. They'll never do this again. And it's funny if you build that muscle of, 
being really, really intentional about what you purchase, you'll get to the point where you'll know intuitively when you want something. Yes. You'll, it'll be a no brainer. Mm-hmm. You won't have to put it in the cart and wait and kind of like hack your way around to making a rational decision. You'll know. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's freeing. It's really beautiful. Yeah. Yep. Well, that's it. That is death by success. <laughs> Why you should be happy, but you're not. We talked about three reasons and there's more, but yeah. we, we talked specifically about when you put your identity in your labels of success, mm-hmm. when you have attachment to your possessions or to your community. And then we just talked about being addicted to the numbing lifestyle of pleasure. Yeah. And, you know, I just thought of this. We didn't really touch on it, but it, it relates to every single one of these things that we just talked about as a what to do instead is lean into your relationships mm. more. Yeah. yeah. That's a way to work through all of them is leaning less into the things and attachments and labels and more into your relationships and however you like to do that. But leaning into relationships um, genuinely and authentically, I think is never the wrong answer. No, I couldn't agree more. Oh, well, before we wrap it up, I got to know, my love, what is your medicine today? (laughs) This is going to be a weird one. But... You know, we're on this day three of the Reishi cleanse and we took a little break in the middle of this podcast um, and I passed a very large thing. (laughs) I don't really know what it was, but it was my medicine because I'm just relieved that it's out of me. Yeah. And if you want to follow my my parasite journey Make sure you're following me on Instagram, Mimi underscore the medicine. And I actually have a highlight reel or yeah, highlight reel, a saved to my page that's called Parasite. Um, I was like, you know what? I don't think I really am going to have any like major things pass. It's going to be little things. Literally two hours later, I passed a an eight inch long something. So that was cute. Yeah, that was gnarly. <laughs> Good medicine for you. Yes. Um, What about you? What for you, my love, is your medicine today? My medicine today was uh, this morning. Today is my uh, day off, not not lifting this morning. I uh, went for just a quick 10-minute jog, uh, real light, and then jumped in the sauna for about 30 to 40 minutes and did some breath work. And it was just a beautiful way to start the day. Then I took a cold shower afterwards and I've just been in a great mood all day. I, I read, uh, did some reading this morning as well um, from a, from a gift that Paul Chet or from a book that Paul Chet gifted us. And just the combination of the morning, we, you know, made sweet love this morning too, which was just, so <laughs> when like you said this morning, I thought that's what you were going to say. My morning was l- just packed with uh, beauty and restoration and I have felt just like a million bucks today <laughs> and so my morning on this Wednesday morning uh, was my medicine today I love it I'm into it all right you guys thank you so much for listening and let us know what you thought of the episode uh, we would love to hear from you and as well if you ever want to leave us a review in iTunes in, in Apple Podcasts or in Spotify Spotify now lets you leave reviews which is so cool if you do we actually are so grateful that you do that we will send you a personal thank you 
gift. So all you have to do to receive that, once you leave your review, before you push submit, take a screenshot and send it to themedicinepodcast at gmail.com and uh, include your name and shipping address and we will send you a personal thank you because we love you so much. So um, thank you so much again. We appreciate you. Go spread some light and we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye. If you liked this episode, make sure you hit that subscribe button in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen. This will ensure that every episode drops into your library automatically. Also, make sure you're following me on Instagram at Mimi underscore the medicine. To learn more about our favorite health products, foods, and supplements we discuss on here, along with the discounts, visit themedicine.com forward slash medicine cabinet, or just check the show notes for this episode. Until next time, cheers, boo.